This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by the Finish Line Script Competition. In its sixth year, the Finish Line Script Competition is the only script competition run by ex-literary managers. Six-plus pages of actionable development notes are available to you, or you can submit your script as is. Scripts can be rewritten and resubmitted for free anytime throughout the competition. Over 40 mentors read and meet with the winners, and the competition staff itself works with many semifinalists on getting their material read throughout the industry. They are here to help writers succeed by improving your script along the way and making sure you get opportunities when your material is ready. So check out what's happening at finishlinescriptcomp.com, now open for submissions. This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is also brought to you by the Tyrota Finish Line Social Impact Script Competition. It's back for a second year in a row. The competition will again celebrate film and television scripts that seek to raise awareness and inspire change regarding urgent issues with critical relevance across our society now, such as racial, gender, or economic inequality, climate change, drug addiction, the broken foster care system, gun violence, and much more. The competition especially encourages submissions from historically underrepresented writers. The Tyrota Finish Line Script Competition runs from January 18th through June 10th. Please go to Film Freeway and learn how to submit your script. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, Lisa? Well, Wakanda uh, forever. Forever, ever. <laughs> ever. And I know you guys heard the news. Yes. Got the five-year thing, yeah. and Wakanda's become a new series, so that's all I got to say. What I want to know, because I heard a rumor that they're going to bring back Chadwick and he's going to be the Black Panther, which I think is the only way to do it unless they make his sister become it or something. You know what I mean? Are you talking, mm-hmm. are you talking about the movie or the, the series? Movie, the movie. The movie. Um, yeah. I mean, the only thing they can do really to try to save it, honestly, um, they got to bring Killmonger back. That's the only way. I, I mean, I, on, I mean, not to throw shade unless they recast Shuri, you know, and I, I've thrown that out too, not to put any, you right. know. Not to pay my old girl dust because I think she's wonderful, despite you know the little the little flack she had last year right. on uh, mm-hmm. the Twitterverse. But I feel like because she's so young and she's so slight looking and so teenagery in that role right. that I think that's the main reason why people aren't really taking her seriously. And so I remember I put this out before I got away from Twitter. I think I I, I had suggested that they cast um, who was the girl in the old guard who I love. She was in um, oh. oh in Beale Street, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I see her name. I, I feel terrible because mm. she's wonderful. 
This is terrible. We, we know her name. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she's also she, and she's also the princess in the new Coming to America movie. Oh, I see okay. her name. Listen, I see her name in front of me, and I can't even say it. My brain is like, anywho. I thought like if you cast her because she has she knows how to do all the movement, the fighting, all the tough stuff. She brings that swagger. She kind of favors what Sheree would look like a little older. You could do that, but at this point now, honestly, you're going to have to bring Killmonger back, and you're going to have to bring a formidable antagonist or something. You know. Um, I'm looking forward well, to they the got freaking years of comic books. There's got to be some other characters they can bring. Uh, you can, <laughs> but I think honestly now it's like when they were first talking about recasting and stuff. You know, people were still in their feelings about Chadwick. I mean, even now it'll be almost a year pretty soon, and even now it still kind of hurts. But I think, you know, I mean, people grow and <clears throat> and, and you know, he probably wants us to keep going and doing cool stuff. So I don't know. I'm open to changes. I just think they really have to be really smart and take advantage of the stuff that made it pop in the first time. Mm-hmm. And even though I love Chadwick, let's be honest, a lot of people were Killmonger all day, every day. You know yep. what I mean? And that's a hard antagonist. Because he had his shirt them. off and his body was ridiculous. Listen! <laughs> listen! I am not going to sit here and... That's the real note behind I, the note. I, listen, that, that's the, that is the note behind the note, which is... Yeah, so... And plus, I've seen MB, you know, Michael B. Jordan out here uh, getting a little thick looking out here. And it's like, okay, he, he getting, getting a little heavy again. We can bring that Killmonger back, get that hair growing. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way I can see it. I'm just looking forward for this yeah, series. You can't, you can't maintain your body like that. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a three or four month trial. You stay like that, and you come back down. And you're like, oh, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we'll see. There's there's good things in the works, and the good thing is there's a lot more new content outside of Black Panther that's on the horizon that looks like it. You know, there's Maybe. all there's all kinds of stuff. So y'all hear us on the rant room <laughs> on this show. We discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Yes. You hear us, Lisa Bolakaja yes. in the yes. building. Yes. The original L Boogie. Yes. <laughs> the Black Gidget of Mission Beach. Yes. <laughs> Love that. And I was watching, it's sad though, because I have not been able to go to the beach or boogie board or surf or do anything, but I have been watching my surf videos on YouTube. So I've, I've been catching up with the World Surf Organization and um, watching a lot of the surfers out in the world doing their thing. And I'm just so jealous. <sighs> but it's okay. okay. I'll live. You don't even go out there at all? Well, it's just so, it's just, you know, because you know, with my mom and, you know, having health, I just really nervous about going out somewhere. I mean, I guess I could go out and like be on the beach part and run in and run out, but you know, I just miss those those days of just literally going to Mission Beach and grabbing a board and sitting out there watching dolphins go by under your feet and waiting for that lift. Like that to me that's the best thing about surfing and that people don't get. It's that first initial lift. And when you jump up and you just feel like you're the master of the universe. So <laughs> I've been living vicariously through all the, the surfers around the world and going, one day I shall be out there. I will be in Bali one day. I will be out there <laughs> in, in my bikini and living my good life. <laughs> so if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get into the show. So today we got my man, Matt Dye, on the show. Uh, you're a lit manager, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, Lit yep. Manager at Lit Entertainment, um, big company here in L.A. and everywhere else, doing big things out there. Um, welcome to the show, Matt. How are you, buddy? Yeah, good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Matt, what's your, your last name? So it's actually pronounced D, 
Deep. Oh, my apologies. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because, like, I I usually don't correct people, but I figure since this is being recorded, might as well. Please correct me. Please correct (laughs) me. I love that. But where's that coming? It sounds Polynesian. Where is that name from? Where is that? What Um, is that? Filipino. Are you Filipino? Oh, my God. I am Filipino. Yep. Oh, shout out to Yes, shout out to my folks. No, I have a sister. That uh, black eyed peas reference. No, I have a a family full of Filipino. We have a lot of black Filipinos in my family. My sister, my cousins, my neighbors. I grew up, you know, even though I'm not Filipino myself, it's like I grew up in the culture and it's like whenever I see names. You know what? I might as well be. Look, listen, I I can cook some good Filipino food. I know a few Filipino cuss words. I'll be at my little jolly bee down here cussing people out oh back in the goodness. day. You're probably more Filipino than I am then. Listen, <laughs> listen. But no, when I saw that, I'm like, that name does not sound like an ordinary name. That name sounds very special. So shout out to the Filipino community. Exactly. We in here, in the house. All right. So welcome to the show, Matt. Um, D. <laughs> we appreciate having you, buddy. Um, Matt, so Matt and I were on a panel. It was like a month ago, Matt, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we're uh, uh, with Richard <clears throat> and Richard and um, um, Hollywood here. They did a panel with all these uh, agents and managers and stuff, and Matt, and Matt was one of the um, the reps on the on the on the panel, and I was the writer on the panel who represented. Uh, writers who had a manager. So my manager, Rashidi, was on. Okay. And so, anyway, and Matt, I thought, was fucking amazing. I was like, dude, I would love to talk to him. I was telling Rich, and he was like, oh, well, I'll connect you guys, you know, whatever. So, um, thanks, Matt, for coming yes. on. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Spending Indeed. your Indeed. Sunday. <laughs> he didn't even know he stood out to me like that. See what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> I just have that effect. People be watching. People be watching. Yeah, pretty Ricky, what they call them. See? Okay. Uh, <laughs> So then, Matt, let's um let's go back and tell everybody like where you're from and how you got into the game and how you ended up working with Lit uh, Entertainment. Yeah, sure. I guess I'll sort of give you my uh, origin story. I'll try and avoid the Dickensian autobiography of sorts. But um, <laughs> I feel like you, you know, need to do it. Do it. I don't care. Yes, <laughs> give it to us. Ooh, I'm well, the cat's out story. of the bag. I'm Filipino. Um, <laughs> wait, notice. wait. Wait, wait, were you trying to keep it under wraps and I, <laughs> that I mess it up? I've been <laughs> outed. Matt, Matt, were you trying to pass and I mess it up for you? <laughs> my parents will be so proud. Um, oh, my God. Go ahead, um, Matt, go ahead. <laughs> I was born in L.A., um, grew up in a historic Filipino town, uh, above all places. Oh, nice. Um, so, uh, born and raised in L.A., um, I think I always had story in my blood. Um, my mom, my mom always said that she kind of saw Hollywood in my future because I was born in this Hollywood uh, hospital that's no longer around. I think it might actually be a rehab center now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so two different paths that I could have gone on um, <laughs> Hollywood or rehab, okay, um, or both. So far, one is on track. Um, so I always thought I was going to be in film working one way or another. I always wanted to be a storyteller of sorts, you know, like most kids who grew up in the eighties, E.T. was one of my favorite movies. And I always thought Steven Spielberg was the one who wrote that movie. And <laughs> we all did. And when I realized that it was Melissa <laughs> Matheson, it's like, how come she's not getting as much credit as 
Steven, you know? And so like, and then it became that rude awakening of like, why are screenwriters not getting their due credit? It's always about the director, you know, as, as great as Spielberg is. Um, and so I always thought, well, maybe I'll go to UCLA or USC and study screenwriting. And then my dad gets a job and we end up moving to Texas. Um, the Dallas Fort Worth. Oh, that's how you got there. Okay. Woo! Dallas Fort Worth. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, good old Grand Prairie, Texas. Uh, <laughs> you know where that is. With your southern accent. I hear it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that, that, uh, that little Grand Texas Prairie, twang. You got to have that little twang in there. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so I felt like, man, my parents are pulling me away from where I know I'm going to end up. And that actually was the, a blessing in disguise. I ended up uh, going to school at the University of Texas at Austin, studying radio, television, film, um, and then getting introduced to the Austin Film Festival. I, I interned there ages ago, um, working in the screenplay competition department, mm-hmm. and I didn't even realize what a valuable resource the Austin Film Festival is for screenwriters, yep. really trying to break in. Um, through the competition, There's they also have a screenwriters conference, film festival, all of that. I didn't even know that was in my own backyard in Austin. Um, and so that was my introduction there. And then fast forward a few years later, I ended up getting a full-time job there and then ended up running the screenplay competition for over a decade. Um, and then that's really how I cut my teeth in the industry. And I think I, you know, as a manager now, my trajectory to that is a bit unconventional, but very much has laid the, the groundwork of what managers really do is, you know, develop and work with their clients, their writers. And that's what I did for a very long time with writers through the Austin Film Festival. Um, I got to see the growth of emerging new voices and then now see them being announced in the trades, having their specs being announced as being sold or now they're running shows. And it takes a hell of a lot of time for that to happen and so having been there for like 10 years i really got to see what it took like who actually has the metal who actually has the talent and the drive to actually succeed in this business um and so um through the austin film festival i ended up working with a lot of reps a lot of managers agents uh producers as well um, hey, and then one hey, yeah. sorry, sorry to interrupt you before you get to that it just occurred to me i said we might interrupt you sometime i apologize um, <laughs> I was just thinking, looking at you and what I know about you a little bit, do you think, because I, I feel like in the last 10 years, of course, we all know people of color has made a big pull in the last five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. I want, and then I noticed Austin did too. Now I'm thinking I'm, I know why now. Would you say you're a part of what you're a part of that? Oh, like the just the the growth and change of the Austin. Yeah, Hall. yeah, for sure. It's definitely like it used to be. Oh, that's a white place to go. Like literally, that's how we thought. And then Lisa, oh, right, was like, right. You know what I mean? Until, no, until, until, until a couple of us actually went there and came back and said, yeah. "Well, it's it's a little not what we thought." And it's like, okay, all right, all right. Well, I can't take full credit of that, but it's just take it that, off, take uh, it off, take it off. Okay, well, I'll I'll take full credit. <laughs> yeah, I take it, it. I take <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm sure my former colleagues uh, over there at AFF will be listening and would would appreciate that as well. Um, but no, it's like I think I it was the perfect confluence of timing, you know, because I I came in board to the festival. I think it was in 2010, 2009, where I ran the competition there, and that was when the submissions were maybe like under 4,000. And by the time I left, it was over 10,000. And so I incrementally started to 
um, adapt to that each year. I, as I grew in that role, so did the festival. So it was like us kind of growing and learning together. And it was also in the past 10 years, like the industry, the, the model through which um, things operate has changed substantially. And there is um, a lot more um, initiatives, uh, a lot more demand and mandates, specific mandates for underrepresented voices and the most authentic storytellers to tell their stories, you know, like, and so I think that was kind of like the perfect entry point for me as a person of color, Filipino, and I'm, I also identify as queer as well. And so just those aspects that I, like growing up, I had always wanted to have seen those versions of myself um, on television and film. And, I, and I, a lot of people felt the same way. And I think, you know, through the festival, and the demands for the industry to acknowledge that definitely spilled into the competition scene, the festival scene, the creators that, you know, are. And so I think it was just like the confluence of all that, that timing. But yes, I do take a lot of credit for sure for the, the group <laughs> and having and having to adjust as well. Like the, there was, you know, as we announced our winners at the festival each year, um, you know, people would come to us and say, well, how come uh, all your winners were white for one year or, or, or that? And so it had us really looking deep into, it goes back to who we promote the competition to, who we recruit as readers yep. and diversifying all that. So it's, it's like true diversity is having everybody be a part of the conversation. Exactly. Background. And That's so we have- That's a t-shirt right there. That's a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, that is a t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. Okay, yes. This is actually from Austin. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like that's, the, I mean, I mean, I was kind of joking about it, but yeah, I actually do take partial credit for that, for help making sure that we had those instituted in everything that we did. Again, the readers that recruit the judges um, and who we were promoting to, we were promoting to um, LGBT groups, um, organizations that were uh, championing people of color and women uh, to submit as well. And so we wanted to be an even playing field, but we also wanted to encourage people with different stories and, and to not look at the Austin Film Festival as just like the place for, you know, white male storytellers, you know, and which is... Okay. So, I gotta interrupt you, I gotta interrupt you because this reminds yeah. me of something. I, for, I almost forgot about this. So, and this is no knock on Outfest, but this is a very similar situation. So I was being, not poached, but you know where they kind of come to you and they kind of want you to come join the thing, right? Yeah. So I was being, some people on the board were trying to get me on the board about this several years ago. And, you know, everybody knows I'm queer, duh. And so, uh, and, 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 and so they brought me in to meet, you know, some people and stuff and they all were telling me why they thought I should be on the board and all this and this. And I sat there quietly and I finally told them, I says, look, I said, I have a problem with this place. And they were like, surprised. And I was like, you know, you guys have this thing called fusion, right? Which is for, you know, basically people of color, filmmakers. I said, you know why you have that? Because you don't bring us into your other film festival. Instead, you decided to start this other thing to encourage us to be like, no, we care about you too. Instead of just putting us in the damn thing, in the festival. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? The yeah. fact that you even have to do that is a place I don't want to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, I and, and, yeah. and so and so for me, um, and I hear some things are changing. I'm starting to see a lot more of our films, you know. Well, they would be behind if they weren't. 
So of course, mm-hmm. you know, there's that. I was like, if I see another movie with some 20 year old white boys with their shirts off again, <laughs> that goes nowhere, you know, and all these other beautiful films are not being shown. You can, you can, you can forget it. I'm not coming to this place. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm just yeah. done with that same thing that you see in everything. So I appreciate that where you're going with that. Um, it just reminded me of that. I, was, I didn't mean to take up that, that, that time, but I just remember that when I was being trying to be brought into that thing, why I said no, you mm-hmm. know, what I mean? and, and, and this did have a, just a little similarity to what you were talking about. So forgive me. Anyway, I told you I interrupt you. So my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> no, it all ties in. It all ties in. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, uh, from my purview, like that was my, uh, my window, my experience with the industry was just seeing the role of film festivals and competitions. And it very much is a reflection of the times, what the industry is really looking for, what's happening, um, and just staying relevant. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, so while I was there, I was in touch with a lot of managers. One of the favorite ones that I've always worked with at the festival for a very long time was Adam Kohlbrenner, who at the time was the founder uh, and principal, uh, co-founder and co-principal of uh, Madhouse Entertainment, which is around for about 12 years. And then so, you know, I had been at AFF for over a decade and I was really trying to figure out what my next move was. And so I did my, my own sort of general tour in LA meeting with some people and trying to get the sense of like, so you know me and what I've done, what, where should I go? And consistently is you should be a literary manager. And when I met with Adam, came to him for advice, um, did not know that I was walking into a job interview essentially. (laughs) Um, And then said, I think you'd make a great literary manager. Let's figure this out together. And I was just sort of like dumbfounded, like, so what does that mean now <laughs> it's like you're joining you're going to join our team but and let's talk about it uh so my my sort of thing about it is like it's always been like the easiest job interview that i've been on right. um and then we've been figuring it out ever since and it's mm-hmm. been amazing and the reason why i've always loved working with adam is that he has been a true champion for original voices and original material you know like in an industry that's very IP hungry and driven, I mean, so are we, you know, mm-hmm. if it makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast are people who have submitted into competitions, and that's the world that I know well. Those are all original ideas, specs that people want to see made at one point, and that's why I signed up to. We, to we've this. probably sent a thousand people to Austin Film Festival, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. <laughs> People always ask, don't they? At least once a month, you get a call about it or email about it. Austin is the first one you say. Austin <laughs> is the first one you mention. You know, yeah. because you can go to Joe Schmo all day. You, you if you want to have any kind of play, Austin is probably the number one place you're probably going to get any kind of play from. If you want yeah. managers and reps to see you, <clears throat> you want your script to eventually go to the blacklist or whatever else you spec, you need to be a winner, a place, and fucking Austin. Let's yeah. just keep it real. You know what I mean? So that's just real talk. Yeah. 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 And um, I mean, like, so Adam has worked with many writers still right now. A lot of his upper level clients uh, had started at AFF and I had read them before or had given an introdu- introduction at one point or another. Um, we usually sign one, at least one or two writers from AFF each year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's always... 
there's always a great amount of potential there. And I think a lot of managers definitely see the value in that. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, that's just kind of like the, the perspective that I, I came, that I have coming into this. You know, I wasn't working on a desk or worked as a producer before or had a former life as an agent or worked for an assistant to a manager. I just knew how to work with writers. I know that what goes on inside their head, I used to write as well. Um, and so uh, development is has always been in my blood. And that's what I love and, doing. And, and I think that you coming from that background of, of the script competition <clears throat> and, and understanding how stories work and, and, and being a writer, that just makes you a, a stronger manager because, you know, a lot of managers get into it. It's like, okay, we're going to represent these people, but a lot of them don't have a writing background or they don't really know what a story is. They know how to sell, yeah. but they don't know what a story is. And I think that you have a lot of experience in terms of what works and what doesn't work. And that is so invaluable to the people that you are working with as writers, because you, you know, you've got 10 years of experience yeah. You know, that's thousands stories of cultivating that's that. Thousands that's of thousands <laughs> and understanding what works and beats, and it's just it's so invaluable to to writers who who are working with you. Yeah, I mean, take the credit, yeah. take that credit, man, take that credit. Hundred ten percent. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, with competitions, is like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. So you finish your thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, with like, there is a difference between a successful competition script. And then one that actually does well in the industry, you know, like I have read so many really, really strong competition scripts that are essentially like probably only as good as a, as a sample for them because it's either not actionable because there's so many other projects that have already been produced or in development currently in development like that, or it's just maybe a, a bit, I don't know, um, experimental or esoteric mm -hmm. that like it's going to be hard to pull this off, but it's almost like a stunt spec in a way um and does well it, it it's kind of similar to what might do well like say on the blacklist mm -hmm. you know and you get a lot of attention <laughs> off of it but what are you going to do next with that you know it's like and it's that is it's sorry sorry to interrupt matt sorry oh no yeah no just, no because you said that that is so hard i remember years ago when i can't remember who said that who said something similar and that was something i took to heart because a lot of times people don't understand that competition scripts, you have to almost look at them as your sample script, not the script. You know, it could be your passion project that you might be able to make years down the line, but to not get offended with looking at it as just a tool, as a sample of writing and not thinking this is going to be the script that they're going to, why aren't they wanting to make this thing? You know, it's, it's, it was such a hard concept and it took me a while to like wrap my head around that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're, basically confirming what <laughs> what I kind of took you know decades ago like yeah this is what this really is because like you said there is a big difference between those scripts that wow it's impressive blah 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 it's a great sample competition script and like you what you're about to say is okay now the real work begins so go on go on I just want to make sure I said that oh no like, yeah, some yeah, people, absolutely some people that they feel is hurt like what do you mean this is like <laughs> oh like, yeah I know what you got yeah well as the guy who has to send out used to send out thousands of rejection letters and my name would be on it. Yeah. And I would get a lot of hate emails from people oh, assuming that I I personally read and um, <laughs> declined their script, which is far from You true. did that. You know you did that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Shoot the messenger. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Matt, what I was going to say was a piggyback off of what you were saying earlier. Um, I was going to ask you, is there, and you kind of said it, but I just wanted to jump on it just a little bit. Yeah. Is there a difference between that script that won and the script that makes you want to rep somebody? You know what I mean? Meaning, like you, you gave the perfect example that sometimes things are, are great competition scripts. You know, Pimp, uh, um, Lisa and I both have won big competitions before. <laughs> you know, I've been in Austin too. So there's the years before, like you, before you were even born. And, <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, but 19. And so, <laughs> I'm kidding. And so, anyway, and, and where I'm going with that is, and, and some of those scripts we've written before that have never sold. I have a script. Here's a perfect example. Last year, I'm sorry, the year before 2019, um, I was writing this, this big TV series for some big producers. And I got it from a script that I wrote, the very first script I ever wrote over 20 years ago. Right? I tell people all the time, sometimes, which is what you were saying, sometimes scripts are samples. Right? I thought when I wrote it because it went to Sundance that all of a sudden I was going to be this thing. All those years later, it's gotten me three or four jobs from that one script. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it needed to be written because it was in me. It was this passionate thing. You know what I mean? That's what stood out on the page. And it had themes that talks to whatever it is that people want to hire me for. You know what I mean? So that's really what I learned. It's not about winning the competition or getting your script produced. It's about having a script that is on a certain level that fits in all these different pockets that other producers would want you know, yeah. as a sample. So and that's where I was going. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, I think to kind of continue what you were saying about like what the difference, you know, uh, piggybacking off of that, um, mm -hmm. with what the difference is with competition winning scripts and the ones that do well. I mean, well, for one, what wins a competition is just the opinion of a small set group of judges, you know, and yeah. so that's just a small sampling. And people think, well, it won by these very well-respected people working in, in the industry, executives, producers, established writers, whatever. Um, and that might be an indicator that I'm going to do well. But that was just like a sampling that they read that our mm -hmm. judges, our readers narrowed down from thousands of scripts down to like, say, five for the final mm -hmm. round. And then this group just picked one. You know, I've been in judge deliberations in the past where they didn't like any of them. Or like they loved all of them and they had a tough time picking, like they all could have won, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. Or a script that does, like I said, maybe it's all loved by this group of judges, they all win, they all want to do something with it, but then it doesn't do well in any other competition and nobody wants to touch it, you know, yeah. after that. <laughs> all it takes is, in this industry, is just one person to raise their hand for you. You know, it's we're kind of in this... We're in this phase, we've always been in this phase creatively where, you know, people would prefer that you have been vetted first. You know, people are too busy or they're too lazy. Um, and they they just want to know that at least a group of people who are respected or have it, the right kind of experience have vetted you. And that's what the role of competitions are. And when you look at a competition like AFF or the nickel that gets thousands of submissions, record-breaking submissions every year, like, of course you're going to want to look at the winners and the finalists, right. you know, and then everyone's going to have their own opinion. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to, I could talk for, like, all day long about competitions and the nuances of how that works within the industry and all that, but, like, the, another, another side to it, too, is, like, if you win multiple competitions and 
nothing happens. Like your name appears on many different lists as reps. We get all those lists. We find out like what does well for the tracking board competition, launch pad, cover fly, all of those final draft. And like if we see, oh, that guy has won all these competitions, and then then we see in the next year he's still doing well in all these other competitions. (laughs) It's almost like you have an expiration date, of course. It's like, mm-hmm. how come nothing has happened with this guy in this script? And, you know, he, he queries me and he's listed 20, 30 awards over the, the course of like five, six years. And he has no rep. Nothing's happened. It, you know, we think about all these things. There's a little bit of a red flag. Like you could almost have too much success in the competition scene, if that makes any sense. You know, it's like at some point, it's like, why haven't you gone further than, than just that? I thought you were going to say, it's funny you say that. I thought you were going to say the opposite of that, which is, so I always tell people this. So when my first script that I wrote went to that final list at Sundance, right? All of a sudden I was on this list of these top 10 people or whatever it was, right? And so I was getting hit by everybody. So I thought what you were going to say was a version of that where these people who have won all these other competitions who are on this list every year, you see them winning or placing in these competitions. I thought maybe their scripts were good, but they weren't winning any of the management or because they were killing their interviews or something. Like they just weren't great people, you know, whatever. I thought that's where you were going. Maybe there's well, there, great- there is that element too, because it's like maybe it's only that one script that they have and they don't have anything to follow up with that because – if you just got that one, you know, and I've seen so many writers who have won or done well at AFF and they had that one undeniable piece of material, but it was like their their pet baby project mm-hmm. and they haven't really pushed forward on multiple other projects simultaneously because you never know when, you know, irons can, well, like you want to have multiple irons in the fire, essentially. And when lightning strikes, you want to be ready that you have all those other projects to show for it because you never know what's going to stick. Um, so that's also part of like, uh, you know, another part of that conversation of like, why haven't they, why is it that just that one script that they've done well with and haven't done anything else with, you know? Right. So. I, I think, I think a lot of writers get caught up in, um, like here, here's a perfect example. Uh, Lisa and I talk about this a lot on the show and Chris, whenever you see her, the, the, when our careers turned around is, is usually when you do a couple of things. I do write the script that everybody told you not to write mm-hmm. because it came from a place, you know? And usually it's, it's, it's about changing a genre or a theme on something that people didn't expect you to do. You know, people are like surprised by, oh my God, you wrote this thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so that is usually what changes you or it's when you've learned how to sell yourself in a way that, that pitches you in a way that um, embraces the things you didn't want people to know about you. Yes. You know? yeah. <clears throat> That's what I have found for me. When I started telling people all the things I didn't want you to know, all of a sudden people started leaning over and going, wait a minute, man, forget all the other stuff. Tell me about that. That's interesting. You know? Mm-hmm. And then I started going, oh, I need to tell everybody this. Stop being worried that you didn't want people to know that you lived on the other side of the track. No, no, no. Tell them you lived on the other side of the track and how you overcame it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Uh, It's like, I mean, in this industry, it's, I mean, you have to be a good writer no matter what. That's like the number one thing. But what will separate you from everyone else is, and I think we might have mentioned in the Hollywood Here panel, or I might have brought up, is like, what is your superpower? Do you know what you bring to the table? And and do you, have you 
as a storyteller, we want to know that you have lived life enough to be able to tell those stories. You know, yeah. even if it's a story that's on another planet, another universe, say whatever. More, say that. Say that one more time, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> as a storyteller, we'd want to know that you've lived life so that you can tell you. stories about life. You Thank know, you. <laughs> and so that's why it's like. Can you pull from your own toolbox of life experience and be able to tell them in a cinematic way? Even if it's like you experience something, but it's like there's really no like, you know, it's you can't quite fit it into like a perfect three act structure. You know what I mean? It's like, but can you tap into the emotion of what you experienced and make it cinematic? You know, it, it's not like you're having to tell your autobiography. We as storytellers, you know, even though I, I'm not a writer and as as a manager, I still develop with my clients. So I almost feel like I'm telling stories with them. And so we always put a little bit of ourselves in there. You know, when I'm feeding notes to my clients, it's always still something that I might have experienced too. You know, I have a client who's Filipino as well. So we both have similar backgrounds. We kind of can, you know, uh, almost finish, finish each other's sentences in terms of where we came from, the stories that we want to tell. And so we always insert ourselves in that. And as a true storyteller, can you tap into that? And, and acknowledge that like the, the shit that, and whatever that I'm still, still living with, still trying to maybe still trying to work through, can I put that on the page and have it feel cathartic, uh, emotional, mm -hmm. um, and still cinematic? You know, that perfect marriage of art and commerce in a way where it's like, it still feels specific and universal. And that's why it's like, it's exciting that as, uh, you know, in the last few years that, people are more embracing that, you know, um, they're taking their own personal baggage or um, whatever and turning into art, you know. It's, it's facts. Um, let me, so let's get into uh, you working as a manager now. Um, what's it been like? Because you said you, you, you came out in the 2019. I'm not sure what month it was. But here, the, the year later, you know, we get the Rona. You know, how did that how did that affect your growth as a manager, you know, and all that other stuff and your clients and you know, what were you guys doing to survive, you know, as, as Oh a sure. Well, like I started at Lit um as a first time manager of February twenty nineteen. So I was literally walking into all of the WGA stuff. Mm. Um ETA stuff. Right. And so, you know, this is an industry that's always in flux, but that was a that was a big time of uh, change and influx. And so I haven't really experienced a normal TV staffing season oh, or no, just no. A, a normal <laughs> year. You know, like I walked into this with like taking on clients. Like, so how are you going to get me staffed on a show? I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> don't have support of the agents. So I'll figure this out, you know, <laughs> but, but it was, you know, you can kind of look at it as a disadvantage, but it was good for me that I was learning as everyone else was learning in that same moment, you know? Like literally the first week on the job was going to a meeting at the W Hotel with the WGA as they were addressing the situation with managers. And like, I'm in a room with other managers who I maybe only corresponded with through email when I was at AFF or I may have yeah. met before. <laughs> it's like, I've never been around so many reps in one room and like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I just signed up for this new job. And it's like my job description has now just changed, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, I felt like we we adapted well to that 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 first year, and then um, in our first year um, as as a new uh, management production company, and then then Rona hit, 
And, you know, then we all, again, we're all sort of on the same level playing field of like, we, how do we, how do we service our writers when, you know, we're all trying to figure this all out. How do we Zoom? How do we Skype? (laughs) Exactly. Now we're all pros to a certain extent. But, you know, I think a lot of last year, a lot of places uh, really dove into development because it's like, what else can we do? And like production is halted, started and stopped, started and stopped again, you know, rinse and repeat. Um, But development is always a thing that will, that can continue. And so, you know, even now, like almost pretty much now, a, a whole year of being in quarantine and that a lot of places were very development focused, a lot of those places are now backed up on development. So, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> it, like moving forward now, it's going to be interesting seeing yeah. from development execs in terms of like, because I feel like a good development exec is always is never going to say no to you know a new good piece of material coming in. But like, how do you manage that when you've already committed to a whole slate of things? And you know, at some point, something's got to give. You know, but definitely saw that development was something that was really amped up, and obviously animation too. You know. Um, and then also just the types of stories, you know, people want hopeful and happy. They, they, they want something that feels, or something that feels escapist, something that feels very different from where we're, the world that we're living in right now, or just something super cathartic where it addresses all the social unrest head on so that we have an outlet to talk about it further, you know? So it's kind um, of Lisa, Lisa's been talking about that, like since the new year, like her new headspace, like she's been going back, watching old comedies. And, and that's not even like what we really get down with. But just to kind of not be dealing with what you could tell Lisa. No, it's, it's just like it's just like what people did during the 30s when the, the, the market crash happened in the early 20s and you have like the Great Depression. Um, no one wanted to see big dramas. Like the big thing where musicals got really big then, comedies were big because people needed an outlet, something to lift their spirits. And it wasn't until much later after the 40s and 50s, when in the 50s and 60s, you started dealing with movies that dealt with war. It's, it's interesting how cyclical it is when great events happen in the world. We're only able to process them many years later after the fact, but in the midst of it, we tend to want things that make us feel good, that make us happy, that make us think of happier times. And what I'm curious right now with you, um, Matthew, in terms of <laughs> development, having a whole slate of things, but because everything has been start and stop and shut down, have managers and development people really been watching what people have been really taking to this whole, it's almost a year now since we've been on this roller coaster ride pandemic. Have people really been, I'm just curious, are people looking at what people are getting excited about and really watching and then going back and looking at the slate of development stuff to see like, this might not be, this might not be the lick right now. Cause apparently <laughs> this other thing that just came out didn't do so well. You know, it, it's, I'm just curious because it's like the shows uh, in 2020 that really hit for me, like that the people I was hanging out around with were entering like, was like P Valley um, Michaela Cole stuff, stuff that was mm-hmm. just normally would not have gotten. I wouldn't say that. I, I shouldn't say that. But in a normal time, probably would not have gotten as big. Or, or I don't know. I guess during the pandemic, people were more willing to look at things that are different than norm because there's nothing else they can look at because nothing was really being produced outside of that. And so it's like they're taking chances at looking at stuff. So I'm just curious if. 
developers are looking at stuff that people are really talking about that's trending and then going to look at some of the stuff that they've been developing and thinking about doing is there like maybe this might not be a great project to go with because it I don't know I, I don't know really what my question is well the climate is interesting though. yeah I guess the maybe climate, you can talk like, to the climate I think talking to the climate in terms of is there anything on development or people you've been talking to who are developing projects who are maybe having second thoughts about things that they thought was, yeah, this is on our slate. This is really, ah, maybe not. (laughs) If that makes sense. sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it does. And I think it's, I mean, that's, I think the general mindset, you know, but like, again, like in terms of climate, what's going on, like, you know, as what goes on uh, in current events, how that, how true life, influences art and then you know you can kind of also look at it as like a thing that goes back and forth and so is it the right time to do it you know is it is it the time to do a police brutality project right now some people will probably not want to do that because it's just who wants to see that you know what i mean um and so we'll look at you know i think people who may have stuff that could uh, that maybe wasn't hot a hot button topic but now is they have to look and see, is it the time to do it because it's relevant or no? This, the story for that is not done yet. People are not ready for that just yet. And then the necessity. I think that's always going to be a thing, no matter what. But again, like, since you mentioned stuff that you're, you really dug, like, I, I loved I May Destroy You. That was probably one of the best things that I saw last year. Watchmen was technically 2019-ish, but, you know, people really got into it last year. Um, and then something like Shit's Creek. You know, that, that was just, like, that hopeful, sunny show. Yeah. And, like, people wanted that. That was, like, the perfect timing for something like that, a show that was going to be wrapping up in a year where people were binge-watching and kind of came into that show late and, like, or have this is the perfect thing, you know? like, And then it won a record number of Emmys. It's just, like, I think that's a testament to, like, where people headspace is, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it probably still would have done well regardless of quarantine, but I think people wanted that hopeful, happy ending, you know? Right. Um, but yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Like, I'm dealing with, um, as Lisa knows, I wrote I wrote the story of Black Wall Street, you know, what was that, three, four years ago, Pamela? I mean, I'm, I keep calling you Pamela. So I'm, I'm, my, my producing partner is Pamela, and we're always talking, so. But I'm just as cool, but I'm cool like Pamela. I'm trying to be cool like Pam. <laughs> <laughs> and, um... And and <clears throat> I've been dealing with the same thing where it's gotten every any meeting I want to get across town, we leave with that script and I get it, you know, and I walk out with a pitch that they want me to do or something. Right. Every time. And but everybody loves this script, but everybody's scared to do it because it's like, do we want to show black people being killed by the Klan like right now? <laughs> you know, what I mean, like in the climate. So it keeps. But it's been a great sample for me. You know, even yeah. though it's a passion project of mine and probably the best thing I've written, you know, to this point, it still is one of those things where it keeps, you know, like we're coming up on 100 years of, you know, the anniversary of Tulsa this year. So we're going to we're going to miss that clearly. Right. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I mean? I just still kind of stay hopeful. I have like six other scripts like that. I wrote the story of Sylvester, the big disco singer like that I wrote probably 10 years ago. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it still keeps getting me work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just so funny how these things keep lingering in the air, if you will. And the timing is just like, I just got a, actually, I just got a term sheet for Sylvester from another company on Wednesday. You know what I mean? Offering me all these things in the event that we sell it. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, okay, it's another company. Well, nothing's happening with it right now. So let's see if we should go with down this trial. You know what I mean? But it's like the fourth company in the last three years that's wanted the option or shop it or something. <laughs> you know, it's like keeps yeah. coming back, keeps coming back, you know. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, Matthew, can you go into and in telling uh, a lot of our listeners in terms of what a relationship with the manager is, like what a day-to-day relationship would be? Because a lot of times people, as always, they get confused with agent and managers. But I really want them to understand what a manager brings to the table in terms of what a writer can expect when they get a manager. Oh, sure. Like, so at least in the terms of how I operate, how we operate at, at Lit, and I think this is pretty in line with how a lot of uh, managers operate because it's, it re- again, it depends because it comes down to the person and what their process is. Right. Um, but in general, managers are the creative partner for the client like they develop with them they are they deal with the day-to-day uh, they they develop the material they go through different drafts give notes um, you know take out the script try to sell it you know but then we bring on agents then you bring on the whole team as well like it, the, the main difference between a manager and an agent you know don't want to get too rudimentary with it but like managers can produce agents can't agents okay. can negotiate that's right. just kind of like the overarching part of it. But usually, I mean, you can get one or the other first, but you know, from what I've seen, usually you want to manage your first because they're, they're the ones who are going to help cultivate your career right. in a way. They're kind of, they're, they're both a coach and a partner in a lot of ways. Um, and then once a writer has been developed enough, there's enough pieces of actionable material. Maybe there's some heat behind the writer um, that I may have generated for them. Um, then we talk about bringing on an agent to help take it further, take it to the next level. Agents are incredibly helpful for staffing, and you can only get there once we've developed a piece of material that they love and can okay. figure out um, steps or figure out a strategy of who it can go to. Um, and also packaging. You know, like for us, we would prefer to take out a, you know, a pilot and see if we can sell this. And if it doesn't, you know, we've gone out to the right people that it can also be looked at as a sample for staffing, you know, right. a twofer rather than, all right, let's just write something that could just be a sample. It's like, no, we want this, the end game to be something that you can sell. And then if not, then it's just going to be your sample for staffing, you know, then we'll move on and we'll find other, I, other, other I, projects. I, I agree. That's exactly what writers should be trying to do. They should be trying to, they should be trying to write a script that they could sell. They could also work as a sample, not the reverse. Yeah. There are some exceptions to that. You can do yeah. like that, you know, that 9-11 Seinfeld spec that everybody was talking exactly. about. You know, like you could do a stunt like that. But again, it's the t- do you want to spend that time developing something that's going to go nowhere? You know, you're, you're kind of taking a risk, you know. Right. Same thing with even trying to write something about like, say, like Sylvester in terms of like the life rights. Were you able to get that before? Mm-hmm. You know, you may be just a spec, and then maybe you can try and build some momentum behind it. Then see about getting the life rights. Because if you're if you're an emerging writer, it's like, who am I to, to tell this person's life story? You know, it's a risk that you take. You know, yep. and so managers help with figuring out what you should be spending time doing. You know, like because we're going out and getting information from buyers and producers of what they want. And then we're taking that information and we're seeing how does that fit with my client in the, in the right. stories that they want to tell. Again, it's like trying to find the perfect marriage of art and commerce. We mm-hmm. want our, I want my clients, our writers to tell the stories that they're passionate about, 
but we still want to tweak it in a way where it still is that sort of specificity universality right. part of it, that marriage of art and commerce that you know, we can put it in front of somebody and then they will get it, raise their hand and want to do something with it. And so that's what I do with my clients is like the day-to-day -day reading anything and everything that they want to share, figuring out how we develop that, getting to know them on a personal basis. You know, it's like the, the story behind the storyteller is just as important mm -hmm. because when I'm pitching my clients to producers and execs, you know, they want to, they, a lot of times they're going to want to know, is this the most authentic storyteller for this story? You know, if I'm putting them up for open writing assignments, you know, if it's a, if the main character is disabled or right. of a certain group, you know, um, sexuality, ethnic background, what religion, you know, um, I have a client who um, had a previous life as a ballet dancer that was able to, I was able to get her, you know, submit her at least for a project because she, it was about ballet dancers, you yeah. know, things like that. Like if I didn't know that, I wouldn't have had a, a way in, you know, so, right. um, so I, th I think that's yeah. that's super important. Like my my manager Rashidi and and Pamela and I, like the for example when the um, uh, like today's the Super Bowl, we'll probably all be on the call like live, you know, live talking to each other on FaceTime or something. You know what I mean? We're like we literally have that type of relationship where we're mm -hmm. literally talking all the time, and it's not always just about the industry. You know what I mean? I right. think that that <clears throat> like I don't do that with my agent at UTA. You know. But I feel just as close to him in a different way, you know, mm -hmm. but it's not like that, you know, it's much more business with him, but I don't need that. I have that with my manager, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I understand that for sure. So, um, go yeah. ahead, finish your that. Did I interrupt you? I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, you? yeah. I think that's just kind of the, the overarching part of it. Like, um, you know, <laughs> me having been a writer before, like I love the development process so much. Like that's that's a lot of fun. Like to be able, to, it feels like I'm writing with a client, but not, you know. Um, yeah, and I, and it's doing, it's trying to the the way I like to develop is like, all right, what are the four or five twenty ideas that we're going to develop together, and then let's figure out um, which ones we're going to act that feel actionable, and that you can work on now. You know, like. So we may have, I may have signed them off of that one spec and then that's what we're taking out, but what are you doing in the meantime? And so are you working on a one pager or a treatment or an outline for this new idea? You work on that all week. I get it by end of day Friday, I'm reading it over the weekend. And while you're waiting for me to give you notes back, you're also working on that other idea. And then it's like hot potato. Like, all right, like your, your hand, I'm giving you my notes top of the following week. Mm -hmm. And then you're, implementing them into something else and then you're giving me that thing that you worked on over the weekend you know and i love that rinse and repeat that's the goal mm -hmm. can't always do that with every client if they're say if they're uh not available like they're they're in a room or whatever or life you know they have a they have a lot of clients that i have have day jobs you know so sure. they they try to make it work but that's kind of the goal that within a year we've done for we have, we'll come up with like four pieces of material that we I can think take that's out. i think that's the key there's one of the things I found. I'm sure you relate to this. Um, by the way, do you focus on film or TV or, or both? Both. <clears throat> okay, good. Um, 
Because one of the things I've found in, in, in my discovery over the years, whether it be working on the podcast or things I do with the Writers Guild, I'm always, when we could have people come up to the office, I'd have a lot of feature writers come to my office <clears throat> to talk to me about how they can move into TV. And the first thing I'd always ask them is this. You can, you can roll with me or not. I'd say, how long does it take you to write a script? Oh, I write a script in like two or three months. And I'm going, you're not fast enough. Right? And so what I start doing is, that's why I love what it is you're doing. You're testing them on this pace. Right? You got them on this, on this thing so that the, hey, sorry, my dog barked. You, you, you have them on this thing so the wheel keeps turning, so the work keeps turning out. Right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of feature writers I know write like one script a year, maybe. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? Some yep. too. Yeah. And I'm like, I get that there's more pages, but uh, still not enough to me. To me. Mm -hmm. and, so, and, so, and so I'm always encouraging TV writers, uh, film writers, you want to move into TV, you have to work on, on your speed. And I say, test yourself, you know? And I said, you could start with, with a month, you know, and then start working your way down. You know, like give yourself a couple of days to write an outline because that's all you're going to have on a TV show. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they say you have a week, yeah. but then something happens and they need it in two days. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? No, I, so, I agree 110%. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always, <clears throat> that's the first thing. And I'm always, I'm always trying to encourage film writers moving into TV is you have to now change your pace. That's why I was digging what you were saying about how you're like, here's the, here's the log line for the project I'm doing. And then I'm turning in the first 10 pages of that thing I showed you. And then here's the beat sheet of the thing I showed you for the log line. Now here's the first 30 pages of the thing I'm showing you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a constant moving forward thing. And that's exactly how I write. And Lisa already knows this. I have a script that I'm writing. I have um, next to it an outline I'm writing for the next thing. Minimizes the script I wrote five years ago. Because who you were five years ago isn't who you are now. Mm -hmm. You know? So yeah. I still keep going back to my Sylvester every blue moon and I'll just tweak something to give it a new twist on something. You know what I mean? And, yeah. so, and so that way I'm constantly moving through three projects at once. So by the end of the year, I have five or six of them all the time. You know what I mean? And there's a reason for that. But that, I had to teach myself how to do that. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And it makes me much more prolific. And we as people of color have to do that, in my opinion. You know? We have to be better than them. It's just a real thing. You know, you can't be coming yeah. out with only one thing a year and you think you're supposed to succeed in this, but you, you just got to have more. That's just yeah. my yeah. yeah. Ma Matthew, how do you deal with, as a manager and working so intimately with writers, how do you deal with writers giving you pushback? Because to quote Erica Badu, <clears throat> a lot of us out here are artists and we are sensitive about our shit. <laughs> so when we're well, writing things and you have to give the note where it's like, you're going to have to kill all these babies. The chopper is coming out. <laughs> Everybody's getting sprayed. Like, how do you deal with art? You know, writers who want to give you some pushback, and how how do you navigate that? Especially when they get really passionate about it. Like, no, it has to stay. I mean, are there moments where you have to be like, we can't work with this writer no more because they clearly cannot. <laughs> they, they You're a major girl. Okay. That's for sure that I feel that way. I hope they're not listening to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> no, but no, but like uh, I, I love all my clients, and like they, they, they get that because it's like as artists, there's always going to be that push, push and pull because you know um, if it's something that they lived and in, in a story that feel like they need to tell, then I get it, you know. And then like, but but this is how it really went down. 
but from an outsider perspective, like you may have felt that in how you want to tell like your personal story, but you don't like, there's always going to be that amount of fictionalizing that you have to do because it's a visual art form. Whatever went down in real life may not be cinematic. We need to make the right choice that makes the most sense um, for audiences and for buyers as well. Um, so in general, like, cause I know my opinion is just one opinion. So anytime there's pushback on a particular note that I might have, which, you know, I like to think that all the clients that I have, it's like a safe space. I try not to be prescriptive, too prescriptive with how I give notes. Cause I at least like to have it be more of a dialogue where it's like, you need to do it this way. You should have it be done this way. I try not to start off the conversation that way. It's like, why did you make that choice? So I understand where they're coming from. And then usually, I, I would like to think that I'm usually right, in, or at least in terms of when we, when we get around to it, you know, that like, right, uh, now, now we've come up with that, I see. It's like, I'm uh, right, but I'm going to be real diplomatic in how I spin it to them and make them know like, that they're wrong. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I was right all along, right, you know, <laughs> but the way that I, you know, like to, to do it is just to get different opinions i think just as writers you always need to, to do that so i like to go back to the team and that's what where i love where i'm at right now with lit entertainment is that we have that team mentality uh, we like to think of it as like the, the pixar brain trust right. you know how like I, you know my uh, my colleagues may not rep my client but they've read them before and so they know what how that person writes what they're good for then i present here's their next thing they're like, well, I don't know if this is the right fit for them, and here's why. Um, or I don't, here's why this particular plot point or this character motivation doesn't make any sense. And I get that information from the group, and I can just come back to the client and go, see, the group did not agree <laughs> with you on this. Or I can come back and just say, you know, I was wrong. You know, and, or I think we can now make those adjustments. He was um, not happy about saying that I was wrong, though, was he? <laughs> <laughs> Or the way to say it is like, well, you know what? I have reconsidered. <laughs> yes. I slept on it. Yes. I slept on it. Hey, and I have come to the conclusion. <laughs> so talking about lit entertainment, how many reps do you guys have over there? What's your client base? Like how many people you guys have in the roster in general? Yeah, like we're kind of like a smaller outfit. There's three on the management side. Adam mm -hmm. Colburner obviously is our principal guy. Uh, Kendrick Tan who was also at Madhouse Entertainment before, um, is the other manager, and then there's also me um, as well. Um, and then there's Carrie Isget, who was a manager before at Madhouse Entertainment. She joined Lit um, as a manager as well. But like, again, as I said that this in this past year, we've, you know, a lot of places have focused on development mm -hmm. and producing, um, that we realized we needed somebody who has that brain uh, to organize all of that because we are very development focused. We're also a production company as well. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of internal projects that we are producing. We've found books and articles and short stories and all that stuff that we're, you know, we're, we're developing. And so Carrie oversees that. And so it's great to have that as part of our in, in, infrastructure um, so that when we have clients who are looking for an idea or something to spec, um, that we have a whole slate of projects that we can go to them for. Um, but we also don't just look internally. We also look to external writers as well if we don't have the writer who can maybe be the most authentic storyteller for this. 
And so let's go outside and find um, somebody who's meaningful uh, to tell this story. Um, and then we have two, two on the support staff, two assistants who help as well. Um, so that's like kind of the, the basic infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have other initiatives as well. Like um, we officially represent Webtoon. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They have sort of, it. Yeah, graphic novel, anime, mm -hmm. scrolling format. It's optimized yeah, for yeah. cell phones. It, they have thousands and thousands of titles um, on their platform. Um, I think it's like one of one about of every five Koreans <laughs> use. Oh, that's right. It's big over there. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did beat that. Yes. So we yeah. officially rep them along with Verve, and so they have a lot of titles that they are looking to adapt for film and television that we are helping and, with. And, Nep and Netflix had a couple of them that I, I really enjoyed. There were webtoons that became like actual TV series and things like yeah. that. So, yeah, I'm very familiar with that, yeah. And Webtoon, I think they, at the end of last year, launched Webtoon Studios as well uh, to branch out further with that. Um, and then we do stuff with uh, Binge Labs. Uh, it's out of like Chapman University. So basically they do like market test research on certain... Um, forms of IP, public domain titles, um, like, for example, looking at H.P. Lovecraft's catalog of lesser-known titles to see what would make sense, like, if we adapted this for film and television, would audiences who love X title by H.P. Lovecraft, would they respond to this as well? And so they do a lot of that sort of reverse engineering before we even get into developing something like I'm that. I'm just saying, into the mouth of madness. Like, if anybody can, like, make that happen from H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> <laughs> She's telling you to holler at her when you're I'm ready. I'm just saying. No. But, but, but let me say this. What is the new hotness? Like, it sounds like you guys have your fingers in a lot of great pot. Like, what is the new thing that's got you all excited in terms of like projects on the horizon that really like excite you or you know think that you're really looking and gravitating toward more besides the webtoons and animation all that cool stuff too oh i mean like for us like it is about and this is also just on the buyers end as well subcultures uh, of groups of people um who whose stories and experiences haven't really necessarily been told but like fine-tuning it you know like something like the Queen's Gambit, how, like, who would have thought that something like chess would be so thrilling, you know? I loved Love that. that. Like, that, that was a great example of something, like, in a normal year, I might have, like, glossed over it. But because it was something unique, it's like, you know what, let me, and plus I like the actress a lot. It's like, you know what, let me just take a chance on it. And it was perfect. That's and how I, I felt love that. as well, that going like, into it. Yeah. Like, I don't know like, if I want to watch chess. Yes! <laughs> and they got you. I'm so glad that I'm not the only one that got snatched up like that. It's like they got me in the first five minutes. It's like, you know what? I'm here. You got me. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. I binge two in a row every time I watched it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But love. I mean, like, that. the beauty of that project was that I got into it because of strong word of mouth. It wasn't because it was pushed on by, I mean, Netflix sure was pushing it, but, like, I bought into it because multiple people kept saying, you need to watch this. It, it was like one of those rare, undeniable pieces yeah. of you know, projects, you know? Um, and so I think subcultures are, I think, what a lot of people are looking for and get excited about because it's like, it feels familiar, but has that specificity that feels exciting, you know? Yes, um, yes. Yeah. I think that's key that you said, the specificity of it and and it was the thing that made the, the queen's gambit so good 
because it was like on any like, you know most people are really are not let's be real they're not really interested in chess i know people joke around and say things like oh when people are making big decisions like you know y'all playing checkers these people playing chess you know in terms of like having the mental acuity to do all kinds of stuff so it was kind of like man i don't know and like the only reason why i saw it literally like you said it's word of mouth it was like somebody else said Lisa, you like kind of that weird, crazy one. And it's like, per- it's got eight episodes. It ain't that long. It's just, and it's got historical stuff. It's got the fashion you like. And it's the act. And it literally, it was somebody said it. And I sat there and I benched the whole entire thing. And I was like, I'm so hooked. But it's that specificity of certain things. Um, before I forget, it's at the mouth of madness, not into the mouth of madness. I've been watching too many horror things because I'm a Lovecraft <laughs> fanatic. And it was Kiki Lane. I remember. That's the name of the person yes, from the beginning that's her. of the podcast. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. But we did it, guys. Yes, we did. <laughs> it came to me. It kind of came to me. I don't know how I went from H.P. Lovecraft and thought, oh, my God, Kiki Lane. No. But, you know, it's those, those very specific things. And like I said, when I mentioned P-Valley, like it was the Queen's Gambit and P-Valley that were my shit last year. And it was the specificity of those worlds. And I think for me, going into 2021, those are the things that are going to attract me as a, just, just purely from a viewer, uh, just, just a word to writers in terms of those worlds that you're creating, the more specific, of course, the more specific, the more universal things become anyway. But I think those are the things I find myself gravitating towards now um, in terms of what, I, what I'm interested in seeing. So just like to what you were saying, Hilliard, when you said you're tired of seeing these shows where it's like some some cute little white guy with the lanky, cute body and the same, you know, it's kind of the same thing that we've seen before. Unless you can give me that cute white guy with the, the blanky body that has something specific. And <laughs> See, even the dogs agree. The dogs are agreeing with me right now. Um, I don't know. You've got to have, got to have something. So I don't know, Matthew. You know, your people, the people that you have are that that are on your roster that you've got things slated to come out. Um, I'm hoping they have things that are very specific and very. I don't know. I, I know what it, you know what it is, Matthew. It's I'm so jaded right now. I'm just let me just break it down to you. I'm you so jaded. Like, so the oh, I can't even think of it. I'm so <laughs> jaded with content that it's like I can't go with the same old, same old. Like you can't give me the same thing I've seen before or derivatives of something. Like you really, you have to knock it out of the ballpark. And I think I'm not the only person out here in the world who thinks that. Like you really got to give us something unique and special i don't know it's i i don't know i don't sure you know your audience is smart if we are smart smart, then we will we will go on the ride with you you and and you don't have to baby us and coddle us with information like the best Mm -hmm. shit i've seen i don't need a lot of expo you know expository shit audiences are smart enough now to pick up some things you could be a lot more subtle with a lot more shit that people are producing. Agreed. I don't need to be here. And I think a lot of the times they hold people's hand. That's why you get shows that have too many way damn episodes of shit. You know, you got like 20 episodes. The story could have been told in eight. But I know yeah. that, I know people trying to make money. But the story side of me is like, bitch, you didn't need all that. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying any show in particular that I just finished binging, Celia. But, you know, there are shows that, <laughs> and things that you could have told that shorter and been specific and been, I don't know, I... I mean, I'm praying that you guys are bringing me content that I'm just going to be excited about because, like I said, I, I am jaded, and I know a lot of people out here are jaded with the same old, same old, and 
There's no question in there. I'm just letting y'all know. Like when so you work with the Matt, people, she's got some Matt, drinks in there. Matt, this, this is an edict. This is an edict that I'm giving you. Which is basically what this is. Like this is, tell your writers, oh, come with the real, real. Come with the real, real. Yeah. Or I'm not. Or, or I'm not watching it. I'm not watching it. Because there's too much. There's too much content out here, and there's too much streaming services, and it's too much niche things that I would rather spend my money and time with than the same old, same old. And I think this is the year of revelations in terms of people are letting you know that shit is shit and they ain't going to play with it no more. And people are learning the hard way right now with some things that have just come out recently where they thought, yeah, it's going to be, and it's not. (laughs) I'm not naming no names. I'm just laying this eating out. I don't know. I thought you did. No, I'm not naming no names. In 2021, I'm not saying Celia. Celia was a while ago, and there's it's a telenovela. So there's some things I'm willing and melodrama that I'm willing to forgive because it's Celia Cruz, (laughs) it's Afro Latino, and it's like that's my peeps. But I'm just saying that 2021 is the year of discernment, and it's also the year of bitches. Y'all better come with some good shit, or else we're not paying our money for it. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all. That's yeah. all I gotta say. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Now let me shut up. <laughs> so, Matt, people are gonna ask, can they submit to you? And if so, what do they need to do to do that? If they could, what do you guys look for? If they queried you, be, you know, let's just honest. get it out. Let's just get and, it out. And be let's honest, you ain't got a sugarcoat nothing with our people. Like, wow. tell them, bitch, we don't want nothing. We been booked. We booked and busy. We booked and busy. How the sound go? How the sound go? Tell it like it is. is. There you go. (laughs) I'm not a singer, so I'm not going to sing that. But um, no, yeah, no, I I, I talk about this all the time, but it's like, it's, it comes down to timing. Like it's, and is it, is this the right time to query? I think you have to ask yourself that, am I ready for this? You know, like if you're, if you're going to query me for one thing that you've written and you only have that one thing, like, is it undeniable? Is it strong enough? Do you have other ideas in mind? You know, um, have you been vetted? Let me know about competitions that you've entered. Um, all of that um, queries I can talk about. How long effort. do you want them to be? Short and sweet and, <laughs> and to the point. Almost think of your log line. I mentioned this before. You know, almost think of your not your log line, your subject line um, as the body of your email. Mm. If you only had your log line. Why keep saying logline? If you only have your subject line, what's the most important piece of information that I need to know? Because I get queries by email practically every day, um, and a lot of reps do as well. And so we're 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 going through and looking at all the subject lines. Like, all right, what what am I? I mean, I'll read all the emails that I get just to see because out of the 20 or so that I might get in a few days, like there might be one that I might might be worth reading because. We read over the weekends and evenings. So like as we put our weekend read list together, what I, I always like to have a couple of queries to take a look at just to see what's out there. So I'm gonna look through what what did I get throughout the week? What stands out the most? Subject line is, you know, would be the first thing that I would look at. And then the body of the email. <laughs> Don't include all 10 projects that you've written or I say I, I have 20 projects. Here are all the log lines. Let me know which one you <laughs> <would> read. <laughs> It, it, like I get them, to, I get them too, Matt. So this yeah. is why I'm saying I'm sorry. You just <laughs> need ahead. to like you are the one who should know what's the most actionable thing. And like, well, I don't know if you like this particular genre. Like most managers will say we are genre agnostic because we we want to be open to all kinds of stories. 
and types of storytellers. Um, so you have to lead off of that. Again, what's your superpower? Yep. Is there something interesting about you and your background? Um, and is there, out of the stuff that you've written, is there anything that's actionable that I should look at? Do you have um, X producer, X talent that's attached to this project? You know, like that's going to be meaningful, you know? Um, but before you even query, do you have somebody that could refer you to me? Are you able to figure out, you know, not a six degrees of separation, you know, but like much less than that, you know, <laughs> uh, to have somebody that you could CC in the email to me so that I know that, you know, you're not just bullshitting me and saying, you know, so-and-so, or you have that person who can email or call me to, you know, speak on your behalf. That's always the more guaranteed way to get read. Um, yeah, and then going back to the query, just keep it short and sweet. That's that's all you need to do. You don't have to, if we see all text, you know, you've written a whole decalogue uh -huh. of your backstory, your life story, where you were born, um, you know, all that, and all 20 projects that you have, like, I'm, you've kind of given me a sense of what it's going to be like to work with you. You know, you're going to be sending me stuff that, I, even before I even get to reading your script, I have to read an entire essay that you've written. So short and sweet and to the point. And, you know, and because if you're querying me specifically because like, well, I was a second rounder at the Austin Film Festival this past year. And that's the only thing you can speak for to yourself as a connection to me. Um, and that that's your only placement. I would probably be less enthused. You know, I would be more enthused if you were, say, a semifinalist or a finalist, yeah. you know. Um, and did we have any kind of personal connection, you know. I've done many of these podcast interviews, mm -hmm. panel discussions, and people will use that as a as a way as an entry point. Like I heard you on this, yeah. <laughs> so this is my cue now for me to reach out to you. And then they have nothing else to speak for it, you know. I, I well, saw you. I saw you on Zoom. Exactly. <laughs> I love what you had to say about that, and I I love that they can make it personal. Yeah. Because it's like you, you can't you can't you know uh, you know dog them for at least trying you know um, that they've at least let me know why they think I'd be a good partner for them. Not that my ego needs to be stroked, but this is a relationship. I said that before in the panel that we were in, Hillary. It's like right. dating, you know. Like, why do you see me as a potential partner for you, suitor, you know, whatever? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the first I'm telling your boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I got an old videotape. Yeah. <laughs> He's in the other room. Okay. <laughs> when it comes to with writers, it's an open relationship. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but, I was going to ask you yeah. something else you were talking about back there and kind of went blank. Um, it was something about um, the queries, keeping it short. And then, uh, oh, so what? It, what is it that usually grabs you? Is it the way that right. they do their logline, or is it right. sometimes the, the their story on their little short story and who they are? Right. Because some sometimes I'll I'll tell people this all the time. I I would rather know who you are than 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 your script because to me, I'll, the scripts don't usually move me as much anyway. Because like you, I've read thousands of them, so it usually. They're not as great as the person thinks they are anyway. So I'm, I'm more interested in the person. You know, I want to know what they are and help them develop something that's going to be greater. You know? Yeah. 
it, it's a little bit of of all of that. So again, like, do they know what their superpower is? Do they know what they bring to the table? Rather than like, all right, so I I moved to LA three years ago and now I'm an assistant. It's like, okay, it's, or like I went to UCLA, USC. So it's like, all right, I've heard there's thousands of people who have that exactly. same story. So, <laughs> and that's great that you're bringing that up. But what else about you? You know, without getting into the whole uh, autobiography of it all, but like, um, what's interesting about your background? Did you, were you did you work in the FBI before? You know, exactly. did you did you um, live through some shit? You know, like I was a former addict, and now I through a form of catharsis, you know, I uh, volunteered at different places, and, and that has led led me to be the storyteller that wants to tell more of those stories. And then here's this. Um, uh, feature or pilot that is inspired by true events of what I experienced or someone else did. Exactly. And, like, I find that fascinating exactly. because like, this is somebody who's lived life, you know, not, not that, you know, looking for people who have had a broken experience, you know, mm -hmm. but I mean like that lived life. And often that sometimes that's a part of it because writing is cathartic, you know? And so there is a bit of their backstory, um, Sometimes it is like a log list. Sometimes it is like we are, we've been looking for, we know people are looking for a particular type of project, a very specific project. Like say we want, um, again, going back to Queen's Gambit, like if it was a particular uh, game or sport that's that maybe not quite as popular, but it's like an inspirational uh, sports story from uh, a different point of view. And like, well, we don't have that. And then I get a query for somebody who actually has a really fascinating, you know, um, I idea in that realm. Then, all right, well, perfect timing. No harm, no foul if I, you know, request that script to read because it might be something that we could either produce. And again, it's a conversation that we'd have with the writer um, and or we're talking about potential rep, you know, because we read stuff with our producerial hat on as well too. So yeah. if it's, yeah. so yeah. it's like, well, again, like we may think that this writer doesn't necessarily, is not ready for a manager because again, maybe this is just their one thing. Mm -hmm. Then we can maybe see if this is something they'd want us to be additive as a producer on. So again, it's like, uh, that's how we think, you know, as well. And I think writers should also be aware of that too. Like when you're hitting up a manager, do they also produce? Are they part of a production company? Maybe this is might be a good fit, and here's why. You know, um, but yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of other reasons why I would respond to a query. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if somebody was able to bring it back home to uh, Matt, I met you at the Driscoll Bar at the Awesome <laughs> Film Festival. I bought I picked, you a drink. I, picked, I bought you a drink, and I picked you up off the floor. You spent exactly. five dollars from that Uber, but you know, hey. <laughs> I have some very incriminating photos. Wow. <laughs> and you promised me if you ever became a manager, you'd rep me. <laughs> you said. Yeah. It sounds like you briefly, the homework assignment that you're giving writers is almost like they need to write almost like a, a log line or elevator pitch about themselves, about their own superpowers. And I think a lot of times writers focus so much on the work they forget to focus on themselves because you do have to sell yourself once you get into the room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so assignment people, you know, figure out which, and, and Hilliard says this all the time on the podcast, you know, know what your superpower is, know what that thing is about yourself and actually write a log line about yourself or an elevator pitch about yourself so that you can actually 
physically see on paper what it is that you bring to the table that makes you unique and special or makes you qualified to be able to tell a certain story. And and I'm telling you right now, it, that's hard to do. Not you know, but it's but, but it's about knowing. Sorry to interrupt you. But it's it's no, about but, knowing what the themes are you love and that right. you like. Like I know the themes I love to talk about are about abandonment. Right. You know about little things like whatever it is like that. And and I come from the underdog point of view. So right. if you have me writing a sci-fi story, you know, and I come into you know pitch on a on a on an open writing assignment, for example. I'm probably going to not focus on the guy. I'm going to focus on the kid because the kid would be more the underdog. Right, right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? So that's right. how, so it doesn't matter what it is. It still comes from me right? because right. I pitch it from my point of view. And so when that's you're writing what it's it, about. Right. And when right. you're writing, and a lot of times, too, so you're, a lot of your writing, too, like you said, it is the underdog story. And a lot of your work that resonates and, and, and all of your work, pretty much. For me, I used to think, oh, it's forgiveness and stuff. But for me, it's really like I love found family stories. So TV shows and films that pop for me, and now that I sit here and think about this, like, oh yeah, no wonder P Valley and The Queen's Gambit last <laughs> year resonated for me because really, at the end of the day, all those characters they kind of got their superpowers and got their shit together once they united together and became this like this family of misfits that come together and create something from people who don't really have a strong family base. So. A lot of times if I'm pitching stories or, or writing about things, those type of things, those themes come out. And I think as writers, once you find what your thing is um, and write it down and figure out what that is, because that's really going to sell you. It's, it's going to be like you said, Matthew, it's going to get that one person to raise their hand and say, yes, <laughs> that's that's what I'm looking for. And mm -hmm. writers need to really focus on themselves, too, and how to, to sell themselves as well as their work. Because in the end and long run, it's really going to come down to do people want to work with you? for long hours and be with you. I, the script, have script to, could be amazing and awesome, but it's like, ugh, goddamn, I gotta, just, like, deal with that person. Yep. It just occurred to me, I have to say a disclaimer here. <laughs> just, I was like, wait a minute. You know people are gonna be emailing me this to meet Matt. You, they're gonna be hitting me, Matt, trust me. And I just thought about it. And I'm gonna be like, <laughs> I'm not gonna be mean, I'm not gonna be mean. <laughs> but they <laughs> They're going to be hitting me like crazy. And it just occurred to me. And I was like, do you realize that Matt used to run Austin Film Festival? Listen. You know how hard it is to get an Austin? Listen. You know how his brain is to think how good you have okay. to be a client? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. don't send you and I've never read you before. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> but that's real talk. That's real talk. I already feel like you're somebody I know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's like, well, it's funny because it's it's almost like a the competition itself, except that you're not paying an entry fee. It's like, all right, so I have to take the time to consider your email as if it was a submission, and is this going to be worth my time? You know, because um, I prefer to read my own queries. You know, like, and sometimes we'll have queries that there is. The, if you look on our website, it's just you know our logo and all that, and then I think there's like our info email, and so people will email that and like, all right, so I have a query. That's how you can try and get to us. We have our assistants who go through and find stuff through there to kind of go back to answering your question a bit how they would get to us. Um, but I, I would I would avoid social media. You know, like I am not. <laughs> I have a Twitter account, but. I, you'll be sorely disappointed about what I post because I don't post, you know? And I get, periodically I'll check because I got a notification that I got a message, a DM or something. Like, I'm not gonna respond to that. 
or even through Facebook. I get so many that come through there. Like that's my personal space, you know, even though a lot of my friends are people who work in the industry and are other writers as well. If I don't personally know you and you just message me, I would be less inclined to do that, you know? And again, going back to like, is this somebody who I want to work with? Like I, my clients will call and text me like at, at all hours and I'm okay with that because I like them. And if you're hounding me and, and, you know, like you're, again, you're, it's kind of like a dress rehearsal. You're letting me know how you're going to, how this relationship is going to be like, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. Even, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. Oh, it's even like with following up with queries. Like I, Matt, I emailed you last week. I hadn't heard from you yet. <laughs> I, it's been a week. It's been a week. <laughs> or, or, you know, it's, it's been a month. Like if, if I hadn't responded to you in over a month, that, that you've answered your own question already. Very likely it could have been I might have missed it just because I get so many queries and I have to service my own clients too, you know? So that's the other part of it. Um, but, um, yeah. No, totally. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still laughing at that other shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm being silly. Um, well, thank you, Matt. This was awesome, man. We appreciate having you. Yes. I'm sure we could talk to you and ask you a whole bunch of questions that writers would want to know. Um, a lot of this stuff is online to discover for themselves, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I wanted to have you on the show, man, and um, talk to you. Like I said, we we, we had that little panel <clears throat> with uh, Hollywood here, and you were one of the people that stood out to me, so I thought I wanted to have you on the show for sure. So thank you for hanging with us. Yeah. No, yeah, no, it was, yes. it was, yeah, this is this has been fun. Thanks for thinking of me. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah. I think you're out there doing some good shit. And, um, yes. If I refer you to somebody, it's going to be because I think they're fucking awesome. So just so you know. Um. Yes, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and I do love queries. I'm not going to say that, you know, please don't query, but like, please be mindful before you do, you know, because um, my email, I, I made the, the mistake of giving out my email in a previous podcast interview that I did, and I'm still getting emails from that same podcast, which still gets churned out every now and then. And so, you know, my email is available online. You can just find it, you know, by through different platforms that are um, online. Um, It's not some guarded secret, you know, people can figure it, figure it out. So, so so is mine. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. But can people follow you though, even though you're very rarely on Twitter and can you at least retweet the show when we come out tomorrow? (laughs) I can do that for you, Hillard. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Tell people where you are. Uh, I have to remember what my, uh, I think it's at Matt uh, underscore D-Y. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Is there anything for uh, Lit Entertainment where people can follow them? Uh, That's a very good question. I think it's just at Lit Entertainment Group. Okay. Yeah. He's like, let me look that up. Yeah, that's a very good question. That, no, that goes to show how often I'm on social media. <laughs> 2020 was not a good year to be on social media. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa, where are you at? Uh, what what fresh hell is this Lisa on IG for now? Mm-hmm. For now. <laughs> well, that's right. You're not even on Twitter right now, are you? Yeah. I mean, I have a Twitter account. It's what fresh hell is this? But it's like, I'm not, I have to go through and like arbitrary or whatever and, and get it back. Cause I haven't been on it for like six months. Right. And so Twitter is like, if, when I did start tweeting some stuff, they're like, you're an imposter. You're not the real person. And I'm like, whatever. You know what? 
Let me I thought they just asked you, are you a robot and all that stuff? And then you No, because they're asking all, you know, they're giving all stuff. It's like, you got to go through all this stuff now. It's like, I guess because I was just so busy on there. And I guess because I hadn't tweeted in a long time. They're just like, we don't know if this is you. It's like, you know what? What fresh hell says Lisa on IG? Let's just leave it at that. And the, same, the, same, the same Black Mermaid logo. So if you're on uh, IG, it's what fresh hell says Lisa. And it's still the same Black Mermaid. Got it. Did you find it, Matt? Are you still looking? <laughs> it's all right. I'll, I'll go. Hey, you hey, no, no, look. You'll, you'll find it. <laughs> no problem. Um, and I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR, on Twitter. Um, people got me on Clubhouse at Hilliard Guest. God damn it. I'm Ooh, on there you too. It. You're addicted. You got the addiction to that fast. Uh, no, not necessarily. I go on I go on about every other day for like Ooh, maybe good Lord. Uh, that's about it. Okay. And it's usually playing when I'm writing or something. Right, right. But, um, let me see what else. Uh, any questions? Screenwriters Rant Room at gmail.com. <clears throat> Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you listen to. Um, give us a five star review. We need that for the metrics. Um, please share the show, retweet it wherever you see it out there, um, et cetera, et cetera. Please go on screenwritersrr.com. We have merch on there, we have our Patreon page, all that stuff. So please donate if you will. We appreciate that. Um, Please follow also Finish Line Script Competition. They got some cool stuff they're doing out there right now. Um, they have that new competition. I why it's scripts totally skipping my brain, but it is in the show notes. <laughs> I'm a little too tired. I was up late last night. Um, <clears throat> and, um, and no, I wasn't drinking, Matt, because I don't drink. <laughs> Dry January's over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyway, now we're about to head to uh, Scottsdale, so we're up late um, trying to get everything ready to go. Yeah, the dog's telling you, come on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Those are my dogs, actually. This time. <laughs> oh, that's how, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Chris Derrick, hopefully will be back next week. Oh, next week, Lisa, we're doing another Emerging Writers with, with uh, three or four new okay, cool. Emerging Writers um, uh, episode. Cool. So joining with me, Matt and uh, Lisa, you um, know how the Wakanda forever hey. goes. Hey. Uh, you guys know how we do it on the show. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what? Everybody. Wakanda forever. All right, people. Yeah. Peace, y'all. Thanks, ciao, man. Ciao. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds Got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you 